I had this thought of trying to quickly beat them out, but then I imagined in my mind me knocking little children to the ground because I'm a little bit competitive and I would want to win. And so I decided that I wouldn't do that. So here I am. Uh, this morning, what, what I want to do is we're continuing on um, in, in our series here, The Promise Fulfilled, where we're looking at instances where New Testament authors look to ways that Jesus fulfills Old Testament promises, promises that were, were made long ago and that sometimes the, the, the Jews at the time, the people didn't understand the way that Jesus was fulfilling these things. And so the New Testament authors, namely uh, the Apostle Paul, really help us see help us see, and we're helping the early Christians understand that this Jesus movement wasn't necessarily a brand new thing. We looked at that last week, that Jesus was not trying to start a brand new thing, but that he was a Jewish man trying to help people see that he was the coming one that had been talked about for centuries. He was here, he was fulfilling everything, and all the times, um, it's, it's interesting to me, in the Old Testament, I remember sitting in an Isaiah class in particular in seminary, and there's this phrase in Isaiah that um, our, my seminary professor said would have just been so shocking to the people, and that phrase is, behold, I am doing a new thing. And there was a certain sense, uh, this was God speaking, saying to the people, I'm going to do a new thing. And that that would have been shocking. I think for some of us even today, the idea that God could be up to new things, sometimes we easily get into, I like it the way it is. Let's not do too many new things. And I think the people of the time were kind of in the same thing, that uh, God will just always do what God does. And that's true to a certain extent. God is faithful. God is pr- trustworthy. He comes through on his promises. He's not just changing or wishy-washy, that kind of a thing. But that God, if he is the infinite God of the universe, the one true God, can do new things. Because God gets to do what God wants to do. And he does cool things when he does new things. And so the Jesus thing isn't necessarily a new thing. But he's saying it's finally coming to pass all those promises that we've been putting in place. In some ways, our text today is Ephesians 2. And I'm going to try to tackle as much as I can, realizing that trying to preach, I got real excited and was like, I'm going to preach like all of Ephesians or something. And I was like, I'm going to back down a little bit. And then I chose 22 verses, and now I'm starting to think that might be a little ambitious as well. Um, So we're going to back off probably really looking 1 through 13. Ephesians 2, 1 through 13. And what you're going to see is this kind of uh, where Paul is saying, you were like this, but Jesus did this for you. And then he does it again. He says, you were, remember you were like this, but Jesus does this for you. And so he's showing us that here in Ephesians 2. And he also, if you've been with us through this whole series, there's so many similar things to what we already looked at. That's why I, th- I think we can shorten it down because the end Ephesians of Ephesians 2 really starts to remind me of exactly what we saw in 1 Peter and as we've seen throughout the rest. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 22. I'm going to work through it a little bit here. So if you want to follow along, uh, there's Bibles in the pews, bust out your phone, pull open the app, whatever you need to do to follow along would be great. So last week, what we, uh, what we looked at is, is the fact that the early church, to bring you up to speed, last week the early church was largely Jewish. Now, Paul takes the missionary journey and starts reaching non-Jewish people, and so the Jewish Christians and now these new, I don't know, they were called Gentiles, but kind of pagan people that were following other gods or no gods whatsoever, who are now starting to believe Jesus is who he says he was, they've got to figure out how to be part of this thing together. 
And so they, they had some struggles over that in the early church. That's what we talked about last week. Many believe now Ephesians, Paul is writing to a group, to a group of people that are kind of several years removed from that conversation. And in fact, that at this point in the church's history, the church is predominantly non-Jewish people. So now there's a sense where they're not as connected to their Jewish roots, if you're following along. Are you tracking with this a little bit? These new Christians, kind of like where we're at today, unless you are of Jewish heritage, Jewish ethnicity sitting in this room right now, I don't have connections to Jewish roots. And so for me, it's almost like we just showed up when we were Christians. It's all good. And we can forget that there was this history of faithful people before us blazing the trail, working with God all the way back to the, to the very words, in the beginning God created all things. He created the heavens and the earth. We can forget that we now are a part of that. We get kind of uh, engulfed in that story because we are Christians. And so Paul is trying to tell these new believers, these people that, that don't have a connection to the Jewish faith, that they're part of that story. They're part of this larger story that includes the Jewish faith and the promises made to those people all the way back. And so he begins, though, of saying, let me remind you in case you're getting a little bit, what would be the word, a little bit big-headed about, oh, we are, we are now the chosen people. God is done with those people and has now chosen us. He goes to this place of reminding them who they were before they knew Jesus and then telling them what it means to now be in Christ. And he does this two times. I want to look at those things. So verses 1 through, one through 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So, so he's reminding them, in case you forgot, in case you're thinking, like, we are now the chosen people, we've got it all together, we are saved, we are pure, he goes, just remember, at one point, you weren't. At one point, all those people out there, so to speak, that we maybe can go like, oh, the world's going bad, culture's messy, we were like them at one point. He's trying to remind them of that, just in case you think you got all cleaned up by magic or by your own, you know, like, well, I'm just a good person. No, 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 no. You were like them before you knew Jesus. You were dead in your transgressions. You were dead. You were walking in a bad way. You were just following the whims and whimsy of the world, caught up in the currents of the culture. Remember that. And then he writes to them, after you've remembered that, he says, but, and this is verse 4, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. You were dead, but God, because of his mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
For it is by grace you have been saved. I don't know why he just wanted to throw that in there twice. Maybe it's kind of important. Hey, you didn't do it. On, it's, you didn't do it. You didn't earn it. Remember, you were dead in your transgressions. You're dead in your way of living. Jesus did it. God did it. You didn't do it. It's by grace you have been saved. When you were powerless, I love, I believe it's in Romans where, where Paul says, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. That lest any of us think that there was some place where we like, we all of a sudden got cleaned up enough, we got good enough, we were doing enough, and then we're like, okay God, now I'm ready. And then he was like, yeah, you are. <laughs> You're looking great. Now Jesus is good for you. No. Before we could do anything for ourselves, God sent his son to die for us. Because of his rich mercy, his love for us, he made us alive in Christ. It's a strange phrase there in verse 5. He made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. That's a strange phrase to unpack. What does he mean by that? That's, there, there is the possibility or the potential of life in Christ in each and every human being. There's that potential. Is that, what, he, what is he saying there? It's a powerful thing to unpack. That in each and every person, God has this hope that you can be made alive in Christ. It's there for you. Even while you're dead, you can be made alive. Whoa. What's going on there? That's a, that's a really interesting phrase that just keeps going and going and going through my head. And that's the sign for crazy. I shouldn't be doing that. But I did it anyway, so there you go. But he says, it's by grace you have been saved. He says that twice. And then he, he finishes this section. says, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. I love that ending part. I was thinking of this day and where we celebrate our preschool ministry and the work of these amazing people with our kids over decades. And I think about the fact that they see these kids that come through the doors and they really, from what I've observed in just being here 15 months, our preschool staff, our preschool sees these kids as exactly what Paul says, they are God's handiwork. These little ones are God's creation, full of potential. And as much as maybe sometimes they drive us crazy, they are so full of potential. We all see that when we look at these little ones. We see, oh my goodness, what could God do with this one? What will God do with this one? And so we work and we work like crazy to see it that these little ones would say, yes, Jesus, I want to be made alive in you so that they can live the fullness of life and do these things that they can live in this way that Paul is saying here. They can go and figure out and explore the good works God has prepared in advance for them to do. Can you picture a little one that you know? Picture a little one that you know and just imagine the potential locked up in that little one. I mean, you're already starting to see maybe the way they're wired, the way they're put together, some of the gifts and passions they have. Some of those gifts and passions might rub you the wrong way right now. I was told a lot when I was doing youth ministry by parents, they say like, strong-willed little girls are great. They make great adults. I'm like, 
I'm waiting for that day. <laughs> I'm waiting for that day. I'm going to believe that, but it's going to take us some time to get there. But just think of that, those kids that you know who are so full of passion and energy. And imagine, imagine years ahead when they're living into that full potential, when they're living into, when they, when they, if they embrace who it is that God has created them to be, that God has created for them good works in advance for them to do. God's, you know, sometimes it's funny, people kind of rail against this like, I don't know, is there, does God like set, set us on this journey or, or make, it, make it so we have to do these things? Is this the way it works? I, I don't think that's what this text is saying. I think it's saying that in each and every person is almost like this hidden away, locked up potential. And God has said, oh, I could see it. I could see if you would live in me what you will be capable of doing to change this world for Christ. Oh, if you would just unlock that. If you would just say yes to Jesus and say, like, I want to show me God. And be open to that. I think the ministry of our preschool, our children's ministry, is a ministry that each and every one of us have to young people and even to each other has the potential to unlock that in each and every person you interact with. To help them see you are God's handiwork. It's not just for kids, it's for adults as well. Sometimes, let's be honest, as adults we struggle with, what am I, what am I put on this earth to do? And it's not always clear. I mean, I've, t- I've talked to adults of all ages and ranges saying, I don't know, I'm still looking for what God has in store for me. And we have this amazing opportunity as the church to help each other and call that out of individuals and say, I see this gift in you. I see that you are God's handiwork. God created you with, with purpose and intentionality and he's got good works for you to do. Let's explore together what those things are. That's the church at its best. When we come alongside each other and we come alongside people in the community and we say, I believe wherever you're at right now, whether that person is still dead in their transgressions, not not recognizing who Jesus is, we get to help them say, but God still has a plan for you. Would you just reach out? God wants to make you alive in Christ, give you the fullness of life, and he's got these good things prepared in advance for you to do. See, that's the message to the Ephesians. Remember who you were, and in remembering who you were, now don't don't get so caught up in um, who you are now that you forget who you were and start to judge those people who are where you were. You see what I'm saying? It's easy to do. For us to look out there and go like, oh, look at those people messing around. Not me. Come on. At some point, we probably mess around too. Or maybe we still do. And so we have to remember, and remembering should lead us out into the community to say, you can embrace this too. You can be a part of this too. God is for all of you. And we're going to get to how, how, wide open, how wide open this whole Jesus thing makes it, if I can get there. i got to get there, though. Okay. He continues. He goes through another back and forth here in verse 11. He says, therefore, remember. Again, he's like, Remember. Okay, now you're getting all excited about being God's handiwork and you got all this important stuff to do and now you're maybe getting a little bit big-headed again. Then he says, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, who's this whole Ephesians community, and called uncircumcised, this would have been like a pejorative thing, like, oh, those are the, so it would have been the Jewish people being like, oh, those are those non-Jewish people, the, the impure, the unclean. 
So remember, that's who you were before. You were part of this impure, unclean group. Uh, So you were called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time, and listen to the words he says, remember, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, see, there's another one of these back and forths. Remember, you were separated, excluded, foreigners, without God, without hope. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I remember uh, being at uh, a, a youth conference in our denomination called Chick. And some of you, if you've been around the Covenant Church a lot, this happens every three years. It's a conference it's actually coming up next summer, 2018. So if you're uh, in our community, you'll be hearing a lot in the next year about trying to send kids to this amazing youth conference that happens uh, every three years. In 2012, I was at the conference, and that, that for me was probably uh, the group that I took over the years that um, I remember the most. It, had, it just seemed like the kids, there was something spiritual happening amongst our group. It was very special. And at the end, I remember we, uh, we'd like to sit together in a circle, and I think there was 40 of us or so sitting in a circle and just sharing, and um, we would do these, it's kind of like the old school uh, camp cry night, where you don't expect kids like, I'm going to lay it all on the table, <sighs> but it kind of happens, because I think the Holy Spirit is at work, and people are like broken down and going, oh, I just want to be real, be real with where I'm at in life. As I remember hearing story after story, and these kids were telling these stories about how Jesus was changing their life. And one student in particular, I'll never forget it, she started saying, like, I'm looking at where the rest of my family is, and they're not in good places. But I am where I am today because this church, the people in this little circle, the youth leaders, you guys cared about me. You you listened to my story. You took me seriously. You gave me hope when I was hopeless. I remember just going like, oh my gosh, like just bawling, like I can cry. And I was just like caught up with this is the church. This is the church finding people who were once without hope, once excluded, once feeling like, man, the road that I'm on and my family is on is not going to be good, but this church reached out and saved me. And now I know Jesus. And, and this kid now is about to graduate from North Park University. She wants to serve in the church. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible what God can do. But something else happened in that conversation. We had a, another pastor with us, and, and at the end, He kind of wrapped it all together, and I'll never forget this, and I want to share this with you. He said, for each of you who shared about finding Jesus, finding hope, finding, being included in something when before you were excluded, you had nobody that would talk to you, nobody to share anything with, you were alone, you were chasing after things, uh, be it bad relationships, be it the typical things high schoolers get caught up in. Uh, be, it, be it alcohol or drugs, whatever. He's like, you, you all, it's great. You all got saved from those things because of the church, because of Jesus. But remember, remember as you walk through the highs, halls of your high school that there's another 500 kids or 1,000 kids, depending on the size of your school, who are still without hope, 
who are still feeling excluded, who are still feeling separated, who are still feeling like they don't have anybody to talk to. Don't lose track of that. See, he was reminding us all in that room that the Jesus movement, it's similar to what Paul is reminding them of here. Remember you were separated, now you're included. So remember there's other people still feeling separated, still feeling excluded, still without hope and without God. Remember that. And it's not so that we'll have pity on them and go, oh, that's just too bad. But that we would love them. And we would say, I want them to experience what I've experienced That's what I sensed in the room that day, and I just thought, what a challenge. As these kids were sharing about how they had felt embraced by the community, how they had come to know Jesus, how their lives had been changed by the church, and we were all patting ourselves on the back, and we're going, yeah, we're the best. I'm the best youth pastor ever. But to be reminded, there's still a hurting world out there. There's still more people that we can love that we can show this grace that Paul is talking about, that we can show them that wherever you're at in life right now, Jesus, he paid the price. You don't have to do more to get in. The debt's already been paid. Come on in, belong. And then we can show you what it looks like to be part of the family, be part of the family of faith. I'll just never forget that story. I want to wrap this up with quickly uh, working through uh, the, last, the last verses here, verses 14 through 22. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, excuse me, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, and he's speaking to the two of this separation that's clear in their day, separation, at least in the faith community, a clear separation of Jews who are insiders and non-Jews who are the outsiders. And he's saying that that, that that's destroyed now. There's no more separation between Jew and Gentile. We saw this last week in the letter to the Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, Jew and Gentile, all of that is broken down in Christ. He continues, and in one body, uh, sorry, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Important word that he uses here, their hostility, dividing walls of hostility. These barriers we create that make in and out enemy. We make enemies out of, out of things that are just silly things, but then they, they go on for years and years, and we say, well, those people are our enemies. He's saying all those, those dividing walls of hostility have been torn down. He came and preached, preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners. All those things he said they were before, he's now reminding them again, All of this Jesus did. You're no longer foreigners. You're no longer excluded. You're no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. We talked about that last week, the adoption metaphor. You're now part of the family of God. You've been adopted in. It's not like you're just kind of in the house. No, you're fully included if you're in Christ. Fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That goes back to what we talked about First Peter weeks and weeks ago. So not only are you now included, not only are you made alive in Christ, not only are you you're no longer a foreigner, you're part of the family. You're a son, you're a daughter of Christ. You also now, finally, in this last part, your body is a temple of God's spirit. We talked about this several weeks ago, but just to remind us that in this new day, Jesus makes it possible, his death and resurrection makes it possible for the spirit to come and live inside each person who would say yes to Jesus. And this indeed you want to talk about Isaiah saying, behold, God's doing a new thing? That's a new thing. It's a new thing that was promised long ago, but it's a new thing, a new reality where we walk around and that spirit guides us along, helping us, leading us towards those good works that God planned in advance for us to do. The final thing I want to share about this uh, hostility thing, and then to wrap this all up and, and move ahead in our service the final thing was this wall of hostility actually in the temple, in the temple court. So you had the temple in Jerusalem. And then uh, you, you had, it was all separated out of who could go where. So women were only allowed in a certain place, Jewish women. Jewish men were allowed in the next place. And then only the priests could enter the Holy of Holies, but only ever so often. Only ever so often. But outside of that construct, there was a wall, kind of a half wall. We could see over it, you could see kind of there's the actual temple. But this was called the court of the Gentiles. So the Gentiles could come into the temple area, but they could only get so close. And this, many believe, is what Paul is referring to as the dividing wall of hostility. That there was a literal wall set up that said, this is as close to God as you can get. And as I, I researched that and I thought about whether be worth sharing with you all this morning. I, I, I'm compelled to ask as we think about those people that we know who are without hope, feeling excluded, and remembering where we, want, we, where we once were. The final question to ask is, have we, have I, set up literal or figurative walls of hostility in getting to Christ? And I think for each of us that could be different. I mean, as a church, we could ask that question. As, a, as individuals, we could ask that question. But I think it's a question worth asking. Are there things that I am doing that where I'm saying, I'm going to set up this barrier? And maybe they're well-intentioned, but I just, I just wonder what those things are. And if it's true that Jesus came and broke down dividing walls, I, I kind of say to myself, God, forgive me. May I say to all of us, God, forgive us if we are putting up barriers to get to you. Help us, God, to see those things, to tear those down, and to help people come unencumbered to Jesus. That is our hope. So this morning, would we be reminded that there was once a time where we were, we were in this group, excluded from Christ. Foreigners, you can't, Unless you're of Jewish faith, heritage in here, you could not be a part of this movement. 
But Christ made it all possible. God, because of his love for us, said, I want everyone to be able to come to me. And he made it happen through Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this message of hope. Thank you for this message, Lord, that you loved us so much that you sent your son to make a way to break down barriers so that we, God, could be in a relationship with you. God, help us to never forget that there still are so many, Lord, who don't know you, who have yet to give their lives to you. Help us, God, as your word says, to be your ambassadors, your agents, your people who bring your good news to our community, our friends, our family, our coworkers, our schools, God. We want to bring this good news to them, Lord, in a way that shows them your love, your grace, that helps them, God, to unlock those good things you have put in them to do, and that shows them that they, they too, are your handiwork, your creation, created with meaning and purpose and value, all of those things. God, thank you for this message of hope. Thank you for bringing us in when we were far away. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?